Welcome to the Salem Fields Community Church Podcast of the Weekly Message. We hope that you find this podcast personally helpful, and we also encourage you to share the subscription link found at salemfields.com podcast with your friends that might be able to use some practical advice and encouragement. Good morning. Uh, you guys, did you get to roll over and sleep a little bit longer this morning? About 20 of 7 this morning. It was like, oh... I want to roll over in that rainy day and anyway. Well, um, I think my first recollection of hearing the name of Jesus was about four years old. I went out with my father into uh, the migrant worker fields. He had a heart for uh, migrant workers that came into our town and would work in the, in the fruit with the fruit trees and, and pick fruit trees. And he took me out there as his minister of music <laughs> at four years old. And he would preach and I would stand on an apple crate and I would sing. <laughs> and I think that's probably my first recollec- recollection of the name of Jesus. And then at 18, I believed in the name of Jesus um, because I was in my sophomore year of college and I had just come through my freshman year and I needed to be forgiven of some of my sins, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so my sophomore year, I believed in his name to forgive me of my sins. And then I took a detour from God, from Jesus, for the next eight years. And at 26, it was after I was married and had a child, um, the kind of life that I was living was not the kind of life that my parents had given me. And I said, you know what? I, I want to respect my child enough to give her an upbringing that was safe and secure and in a loving home. And And so I, at that point, um, kind of put a stake down in my life and uh, had opportunity to say, you know, God, um, I'm going to give you my marriage. I'm going to give you my child. It's the most precious to me in my life. And from here on out, every decision that I make is not going to be based on what I want to do or what seems right to me. I want it to be based on what you tell me to do what your Bible, what your word tells me to do. And from that time, and that's been a lot of years, from 26 until today, I've kind of walked that life. And I decided that even if it was tough, even if it was decisions that he wanted that I didn't particularly want, I was still going to choose his way. And I got to tell you that it has been tough, but um, it has been well worth it. But when I stepped into the land of milk and honey, when I, when I traveled to, to Israel, it was almost as if a whole lifetime of faith and belief just was validated. It was like I was standing in the land that I had always heard about and I had read about and I trusted and I believed, but something just exploded in me that made me very small and made this story very, very big. And, and I thought about this, and this whole week I've been kind of immersed in this, about this God story about this story that God set in motion thousands and thousands of years ago. And, and we're still on the timeline of this story that he set in motion thousands of years ago. And in Genesis 10, uh, it, it begins, well, it began with Adam and Eve, and you know them, and then Noah happened in the Tower of Babel and that whole thing. Those are big stories prior to Abraham hitting the scene. And... And, you know, you can look at the uh, news today and you can find this unrest in Israel. 
There's a lot of fighting going on there, and wow, everybody's kind of getting an opinion and an idea. But, you know, none of us can make judgments based on the media that we see because there's no way that we can really uh, trust the media. So my, my tendency is to always just go to where I can find the truth. And uh, I know two places. One is Jesus and the other is his word. And, and Jesus said when he was standing on the Mount of Olives and he called his disciples up there and they said, man, Jesus, there have, there's a lot of turmoil with, with um, God's people. Um, even in our world right now, I mean, in their world there in Jerusalem, it was turmoil and conflict. And they said, is the world coming to an end? And Jesus said, he said this, he said, there will always be wars and rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed because that has to happen before the end can come. And so this big God story that started out with Adam and Eve and we're going to talk about Abraham and we're still on that timeline because there's one more piece to the story that has to happen yet. Through all of the thousands of years that have been prophesied and promised, they've come true except for one more piece of this story. We're going to talk about that next week. This Bible, this Bible is just simply a story of God, of people, and of an enemy. And in this Bible, there's romance, there's violence, there's mystery, there is victory, there are defeats. It's why I love this story. And it was amazing to step into the pages of that book and experience all around me what I had only read about all of my life. This story might as well start with once upon a time. It, it's not a fairy tale. It's true. But once upon a time, God called a, a young man at, from, out from his father's household, and they were living in what is modern-day Iraq. And he called this young man. He said, I'm going to show you where to go. You follow me. Now, this is like God saying to us, okay, go out and get in your car, set at the steering wheel, and I'll show you where to go. And that's about all that Abraham had. His name was Abram at that time. That's about all he had. But he was faithful, and he said, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he asks. And God said to him, and I tracked this. I went to Genesis 10, and I looked at these cities of this land that God promised to Abram. He said, if you follow me, I will make you the father of nations. And Abraham came to be known as the father of our faith. And he said, I'm going to promise to you a piece of land that's given to you and given to your descendants throughout time. You are going to be a chosen people that's tied and connected to a chosen land. And if you look in, in Genesis 10... You can see it on this map where the, the little tiny strip of land that God promised to Abram when he told him just to go out. I want you to possess this land. It, it started with uh, a little piece up there in Lebanon toward the south of Lebanon. This is what he was telling Abram to, to go and, and possess. And it traveled down to Gaza. And if you look in Genesis 10, there's the name Gaza. That sounds familiar to us today, doesn't it? And uh, then it, he said, you'll go over west to that little star right there where there's a tri-city area. One of those cities was Sodom and Gomorrah. You've heard of that one, right? And there were two other cities. And he said, Abram, I promise this land to you and your descendants. Now, they said over there that possibly, and they, 
Never know for sure, but possibly Sodom and Gomorrah is now under the Dead Sea. It was located somewhere around there. But from that day, now stick with me on this timeline. God promised that piece of land from that day until today in the news. If you turn the news on today, some of you don't watch it, and I think that's a good choice too, actually. But if you do, if you turn the news on today, from that day that God promised that until today, that chosen people have struggled. They've struggled. It started right away when they were forced out of the land and there was a famine and they were driven to Egypt. And you might remember that eventually the chosen people became slaves. And then God raised up a man named Moses. And we remember um, how he led the, those uh, slaves, they had been in slavery and bondage for years and years and years, and he led them to freedom. But, you know, because of their disobedience, and people are people wherever you go. And those people just, they, they were disobedient. And, and uh, you know how far it was from where they were to where the promised land was? 50 miles. Took them 40 years to get to where God was asking them to go because they were disobedient and they wondered and they were always complaining and griping and God would do these miraculous things right before their eyes and, and they'd forget the next day. We're all people. People are people, right? And I'll never forget when we were over there and I, I stood and I looked out and they said, right over there is the mountain where Moses looked over into the promised land because Moses, even though he led them out and he led them through the wilderness, he never got to step foot in this promised land that was promised to the chosen people thousands of years before he died. And I looked at that, that mountain where, where Moses looked over into the promised land of what God had promised him and he died and then Joshua became the leader. And there was one city between the people and the promised land. The name of that city was called Jericho. Remember that one? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. You know that one? Okay. <laughs> and the walls came tumbling down. And that's what happens. That's what we know that story to be. Joshua said, we've got to conquer that city. It was the first city that they had to conquer to get to the promised land because the promised land was promised to them and it was time for them to enter into it. And Joshua led, was now in charge of the people. And we drove into that city of Jericho. It's now under Palestinian control. And we crossed the borders, and we had no problem with that at all. But as soon as we went, I looked out the window, and I thought, man, this is Jericho, what I've heard about all of my life, and how uh, the, the, the conflict that went on there. And, of course, this was posted on the tree. It's Palestinian territory. And then we stopped by this tree that they say, traditionally, is the tree that Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee... You guys, you got to brush up on your little songs. <laughs> That's how I learned to know the Bible. And, it, and this little, this tree right here, and somebody said, is that really the tree? Well, here is all we know. That they can't cut that tree down to see how old it is and see the rings. And so they had this little dial that they turned into that tree. And they discovered that this tree is over 2,000 years old. So maybe... 
Maybe that's the one that Zacchaeus climbed up in. He certainly, I was a tree climber, and that looks like a good tree to climb, doesn't it? <laughs> so, so here is Jericho, and I'm, I'm sitting in it, and, and, and the people, the God's, God's chosen people now, Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land hundreds of years after it was promised to them. And you know what? It's still the land of milk and honey. You know, my brother and I would look out the window and we would see these lush fields and these crops and, and it was like corn that seemed like touched the sky and these lemon groves. And even out in the desert, they had these date palm trees. I mean, just or- orchards of them. In the desert, they found a way to grow these palm trees. They'd wash the dirt somehow and these lush trees would grow in the middle of the desert. And then they had these sunflower uh, fields. And I learned that five million birds migrate through there. And so they plant these fields for those birds. Is that awesome or what? They care about that. And then we said, duh, we're in the land of milk and honey. This piece of land that God gave to his chosen people is amazing. The fields are lush and beautiful. And this was to be their homeland. But they still had to fight for possession because when Joshua took them over into the promised land, the Canaanites were living in there and they had to fight them for possession of their land. And for years then, the people still struggled. God's chosen people still struggled. They lived under the rule of judges. And then finally they said, we want a king. And so God appointed a king. They had who? Saul, yes. And then who was the next king? David, and then he had a son named, and so they lived under kings for a while, and you know what, that's when Israel was, was flourishing, they built a temple, Solomon built a temple, and uh, they were able to go there and, and worship the one true God, but after Solomon's death, the temple was destroyed, and they were in turmoil again, and the kingdom was divided. And the people struggled under the rule of other nations for 930 more years. This struggle never ended. Have you ever felt in your own life, I'm trying to live this Christian life, but this struggle never ends. It's kind of the same with God's chosen people when he was leading them into the promised land. It's like, when is this going to end? Well, Jesus said there will always be turmoil. There will always be wars and rumors of wars. And after that 930 years, you know what happened then? The calendar was split to B.C. and A.D. Jesus came. Jesus hit the scene. God came to earth in the form of a man. And he walked in a physical body on the earth at that time. And when he came to earth, when he was born, who was in control? The Romans. The Romans were blatantly in defiance of this law that had been given to the children of Israel. The law of Moses that was handed down to Moses for the the law that the people would live by. And the Romans at the time of Jesus' birth was in open defiance. And that's why the Jews were in such revolts and uprisings. It's, It's why they wanted a Messiah warrior. They wanted a warrior, a Messiah, to come and crush the Romans. 
They thought, finally, we'll have justice. Okay, you say you're the Messiah. Then let's annihilate the Romans. But that's not what Jesus, that's not who Jesus said he was. Jesus said, I've come to establish a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom in the hearts of people. And justice will come through them. Not because of law, not because we've got the best warheads, but it'll be the change of hearts of the people through love and compassion. They didn't want that. That's why they wanted Barabbas, because he was this brutal killer. They didn't want Jesus. So he was crucified, and, and he was resurrected, and this is where we come in. We're still on the timeline, you and I. This story still continues, and we're all part of it. It sounded to me right there. I watched Twilight Zone. <laughs> Did you ever watch that? <laughs> it's really old. But that's kind of how it is. It's like you wake up and realize that you're in a story that you never really thought about before. But we're on the timeline of that story that started way back there when, when God promised Abraham that I'll lead you into a promised land. There will be a chosen people. And then when Jesus came and established his kingdom on earth, and he began to, to gather his disciples. He said, this is not going to just be for a chosen people to be saved. It's going to be for everybody. And here we are today. His church. The story continues. We're still on the timeline. He said that I will come to redeem and rescue and restore. Not just the chosen people. But this gospel, this kingdom is for every. And that's us here today. Well, the Roman government went on at that time when Jesus, after he was crucified and resurrected, they crushed the rebellion of God's chosen people. And the temple, the second temple that was built, it was destroyed. And it's still been destroyed. And there's to be a third temple built, but that's yet to come. We'll be watching for that. But you can go into the center of Jerusalem and you can stand on the Holy of Holies and there's a mosque there and there's a place where the third temple will be built because there's one more piece to this story and we're part of that timeline. After that, after the second temple was destroyed, the people were scattered everywhere and for the next 1900 years, now it's getting close to us, isn't it? What would that make it? In the 1900s, it, for the next 1900 years, the Jewish people were a wandering nation and they were separated from this tiny little piece of land that was to be their homeland that's been promised to them. We're still on that timeline. This is still the God story. And they wandered around and, and there have been t attempts to annihilate the people. There were the Crusades, there was the Inquisition, there was the Holocaust. Yet the Jewish people were not wiped out. Nor have they lost hope of returning to their homeland. The story isn't over yet. The late 1800s, they began to return back to their homeland. And the Hebrew language 
was revived. And on May 14, 1948, the state of Israel was established, declaring that the land that was promised is now possessed. Everybody wants this piece of land. It's coveted. And you know what happened the very same night, May 14, 1948? A mighty enemy came in. It was a combined army. The combined armies of Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen invaded Israel that very night. The story continues. The people are still struggling. Wars and rumors of wars. And from that time, from 1948 until today, what's the date today? I don't even know. I always have to look at my phone. <laughs> yeah, that, whatever it is. <laughs> from 1948 today, there have been wars and rumors of wars. And they continue to have wars and rumors of wars. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Certain things have to happen before the end will come. And the wars and the rumors of wars are over this tiny little strip of promised land. You know, that's, it's the size of New Jersey. It would fit in Lake Michigan. And everybody wants it. How is it that Israel and the Jewish chosen people have not been wiped off of the face of the earth. They have, they have been up against some of the biggest enemies of the world. God's hand. He's still alive and well. This story is still in motion. And for some of you, it may be really scary. Jesus said, don't be alarmed. It's all part of his plan. To me, it's as exciting as it can be. And I got to experience that. In 1967, Gaza and the West Bank came under Palestinian control. And we went into Bethlehem. And, and there was no problem at all for us to cross those borders. There was a sense of peace that we had on that, on that bus. But the, the Gaza Strip that's so volatile right now in the West Bank, which is kind of central and it's all around Jerusalem, is under Palestinian control. And there are two controlling parties. Um, Fatah, you may have heard of that, which is uh, kind of a springboard of, of Arafat and PLO. And then Hamas, linked to um, jihad groups. Now, that sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? And you know what mankind does? Just builds bigger and better warheads. And that's the way of our world. And that's the way it's happened all the way down through history. There have been armies that have been battling armies. There have been victories. There have been defeats. And that's the story of God. That's the story of the Bible. And we're part of that story. It's, it was, it's been prophesied and it's been recorded in the Bible. Check it out. And see, we... His church are a significant part of this story. Because remember last week I said Jesus and Peter had this conversation. And, and he said to Peter, he said, on this rock, on you, Peter, I will build my church. And I will send you a gift that will be even greater than me. Because, Peter, I don't have the internet. <laughs> I can't send things out by technology. 
But what I can give is the Holy Spirit that will speak to the hearts of people throughout generations and throughout time. Just as he's speaking to us here today. And Peter then and his disciples began to spread the word. And here we are today. And God created, he wanted his church to be part of this story so that we then, our lives would reflect him and then we would take this story out into a world that desperately is looking for truth. See, we're living, when the Bible says living in the last days, nobody, don't let anyone tell you when Jesus will return again because even Jesus doesn't know. It could be tomorrow, it could be this afternoon, or it could be 200, 2,000 years from now. We don't know. But we need to be aware, we need to be ready. See, we're living in the, in the days of God's final plan of search and rescue. He wants to search for and rescue anybody that will believe in his name. That will say, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. I look to you for my hope and my healing. And if that wasn't you, you probably wouldn't be here today. Because it wasn't me or Buddy or Salem Fields that drew you here. It was the Holy Spirit that drew you here. Well, we trace Jesus' path when he began his ministry. And um, he went to the Jordan River. He left Nazareth, his hometown, went to the Jordan River. This is the Jordan River that's flowing into the Dead Sea, and it goes nowhere. That's why it's a Dead Sea. But the Jordan River, uh, they traditionally say that Jesus was baptized somewhere around the mouth of the Jordan River. And uh, he was about 30 years old, and he began to travel away from his homeland. And he sensed that his ministry, it was time for his ministry. And he went to the River Jordan. And what happened there? He was baptized by who? Man, you guys know your Bible. And if you travel to Israel, you'll have the opportunity to be baptized in the Jordan River. And I was baptized, just sprinkled, when I was 18 years old. Very, very meaningful to me. And I believe in immersion. But, I, but my baptism was so significant to me that I said I never really need to be immersed except when I go to Israel, <laughs> except when I go to the Jordan River. So very quickly, here's my baptism to say to the world, my profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But Jesus left the Jordan River and he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. And I'll tell you, that desert, it's parched and dry. We went up to Masada and it's like you don't sweat because it's so dry, but man, you got to drink a lot of water. And we hiked and it was hot and it was tough. I can't even imagine what 40 days and then the enemy coming and tempting Jesus with all of the humanity in him and every temptation that any one of us have ever experienced. Jesus understands that because he knows what it's like to be tempted humanly. But he passed the test because he relied on his father 
just as he's given to us to rely. And Jesus, when he came out of that desert, he began to gather up his disciples and he called Peter and Andrew, Simon Peter and Andrew and Philip. And then he had two others, which were his brothers and one more that was his mother. His mother was a disciple and they began to travel around. And uh, I'll never forget the day. It was a Sunday morning when we were traveling through the city. We had just passed Nazareth. And they said, this is Cana of Galilee. You've heard about that all your life, haven't you, or for a long time. And what happened in Cana of Galilee? First miracle that Jesus performed. He was traveling around. He was just wandering, traveling around with his few disciples and his mother. And they, you could find Jesus at parties. You know that, right? He did smile and laugh and have a good time. And he went to this, this wedding feast. And uh, his mother said to the others, just do whatever he says. And boom, they had the best wine that they had the whole day. Because he took the water and he turned it into wine. And they knew there was something different about this person. This was early in his, in his travels. And then he traveled, he went up to the north of Galilee. And then he traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover, probably for the first time in his adult life. And we walked into Jerusalem and we stood in the temple courts with the ruins all around us where the temple had been destroyed and Jesus said there would be no stone unturned and there are these huge, you can see these boulders all over that place. But this is where Jesus overturned the tables. Remember how he got so ticked off at the money changers? And the reason he got ticked off at them is because they were cheating people. He didn't like that. And it made him angry. He did not sin in his anger. But he made a display of don't do this in the temple. Don't do this. Don't cheat people. And then he, he, he left. And when I stood there, though, I said, Jesus was here. He was here. To stand where Jesus was. And then he left Jerusalem, went back to Galilee, and that's when he met that Samaritan woman. You remember when he stopped by this well and the Samaritan woman came to the well? And, you know, she wasn't looked upon very well by a lot of people because of the lifestyle that she was living. But Jesus stopped there with her and she's saying, you're speaking to me, a Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, I just kind of imagine him just kind of sitting back and just kind of hanging out with her for a while and just having a conversation with her. She was blown away that somebody would treat her with respect and love. And she ran back to her town and she told everybody. Jesus said, keep this low, keep it down. She couldn't. She had to tell everybody who she had just had interaction with, the Messiah, the Jewish rabbi. Something changed in her. Something was different because she'd been in his presence and she experienced his love. And many Samaritans, she's one of the first evangelists, many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus as the Messiah as a result of her life. Honestly, in some ways, I feel the very same way. I've been there. And though Jesus is here, the Holy Spirit is here, there's something about walking there and the story being so big and seeing it all around me that I've had to come back and I've had to tell you about it. 
Well, Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth after that, and he preached in the synagogue. And this is the first time that the people rejected him because he stood up and he read out of Isaiah. And we're going to talk about this more next week. But he read out of the scriptures that, that, that prophesied that the Messiah would come. And he said, today the prophecy is fulfilled. And they said, you're a heretic. You're the devil. And they chased him out of his hometown. And this was about in the second year of his ministry. And so he went to Capernaum. You've heard of that city. Went to Capernaum. And he adopted Capernaum as his hometown. And this is where he began to heal people. Peter's mother-in-law. And this is the place. I stood in the, in the place. And the foundation, they say, is uh, the foundation of when Jesus was there. They don't live in this city now. There's just ruins all around and the archaeologists are, are doing their digs and, and they've discovered uh, the, this temple. That's, where, that's the one where uh, the foundation, um, there's a sign that says this was when Jesus walked here. So this little town is what he loved and, and he uh, healed people and and this is where they, remember those friends that brought a friend and couldn't get in? There was The crowds were all around there because people would gather. They wanted to be healed. And they took him up on the roof of this and lowered him down so that Jesus could heal him. All kinds of stories happened about Jesus in this little town. This is where he picked up Matthew, the tax collector. And they said, are you kidding me? You're hanging out with, with disgusting people. Pharisee said. He said, no, come on, Matthew. I want you to be a fisher of men. And so he travels then back to Jerusalem. And there was another festival going on. Jesus kind of gravitated to the parties. And um, we walked into Jerusalem and we walked to this pool. It's called Bethesda's Pool. And I've heard about this story for years. About how a, a crippled man was beside that pool and nobody would help him to get in. He thought if he could just get in that water that he would be healed. This song that Rich is going to sing, it's kind of the story of John 5. You can go there, John 5, and this is the story at the pool. Jesus came to Bethesda's pool Where the cripple did wait For the water to move A man had been laid For thirty He asked him this question It still rings in my ears Do you want to get real? Do you want a new life? Do you want to get away? 
and believe in Christ. Do you want to be washed as white as the snow? God's question to you, do you want to get with He said there's no man to help me in the pool. I try to get up. There's nothing that I can't do. Then Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and go. And by his faith, he was made whole. Do you want to get away? Do you want a new life? Do you want to get away and believe in Christ? Do you want to be? As white as the snow, God's question to you, do you want to get with God's question to you, do you want to get with God's question to you. As I stood there by that pool that they think it was excavated down in, that they think was the actual pool that Jesus walked by, where this man for 38 years was sitting, I thought Jesus was here, just like he's here right now. We might as well be sitting by the pool. And isn't that an odd question that Jesus would ask? He was God. He knew everything. But he asked that man that was sitting there for 38 years, do you want to get well? See, in those days, they didn't have the advantage like we do of hospitals. It's like uh, when we're sick, we know to go to the doctor or go to the hospital. They didn't have that in those days. They didn't have modern medicine. And when the people would hear about something, uh, people would say, oh, you go to that pool over there. And if you jump in, when the angel uh, stirs that water, the first one into that pool is going to be healed. And the people heard about that. And so everybody rushed over to this pool. And this man had hope that if he could just get there, somehow he got there, if he could just get there, that finally he would be healed. And you see, in that day, water was precious, and it was considered holy, and they thought that water is what healed. If they could get in that water, they would be, they would be all better, because you see, they had traditions, and they had superstitions. It reminds me a lot of when we were in Nigeria, our driver of our car had this huge scar on his face, and I had seen it with many of the other people as well, and I was really curious, and finally, he was a safe person and we had a relationship and I said would you mind if I ask you a question about your scar and he said sure 
I said, what is that all about? And he said, well, uh, there was a time when um, the, the witch doctors uh, in the tribes and in the villages said that if you would just take a baby and you would cut their face, that all the evil would come out. That was a superstition. It was a tradition. And so all the people thought, yeah, that's what you do. That's what you do for the evil to come out of a person. Same thing was going on with this man. He thought, if I can just get in that pool. And he had all kinds of reasons set up why he couldn't get in. He said, nobody will come and help me. I can't be the first one in. He had all kinds of excuses set up why he couldn't be healed. And then Jesus came along. And he asked them this question, just like he asks us. Do you really want to be healed? Because you see, if somebody really wants to be healed, then they're willing to do whatever God asks them to do. The man sat there for 38 years. And see, Jesus could tell. He walked by, Jesus walked by a lot of people that didn't get healed. A lot of helpless people Jesus walked by. He didn't heal everybody. But he could tell if somebody had an intense desire from changing from a victim to a person who would cooperate with him. See, miracles happen when a person is willing to obey God. And to trust in him and him alone and not that tradition that coming to a church like this, it's important in our walk, but this is not going to save us. Or another person, no matter how much we admire them, they're not going to be the one. These people thought it was the water. They thought he thought it was somebody else. It was all the circumstances and Jesus could tell if this person was willing to cooperate with him and not look to the water, and not look to anything else for his hope or his happiness. And Jesus extended his hand, and he said, Get up! Get up! See, the man put his faith in Jesus alone. Do you want to get well? See, maybe your hope is dying. Maybe you've desired or prayed for something for so long or maybe you're grieving something and you're beginning to think this is as good as it gets there's nothing more that can happen well there has to be an intense desire to change from that way of thinking from blaming everything else or allowing your circumstances or other people to dictate where your life is going to go you see at the pool the man moved from beyond his excuses and he looked to Jesus he did what Jesus asked him instead of what everyone else was telling him to do this is the story of God. Jesus says, get up. He was asking this man to do the impossible. And there's something probably in your life that you think is impossible. Jesus says, get up. Put your faith in me and me alone. Stop blaming everything else. And he saw that in this man. And that man not only got up, but he picked his mat up. And he started telling everybody. 
See, we're sort of people by that pool. We're on the timeline of God's story. We're part of it. This is his days of final search and rescue for anybody that will put their faith squarely in him. And Jesus beckons us, get up. Show the world my power. How will you respond? Let's stand together and let's worship. If you are a new Christian and would like to know what to do next or where to go from here, you will want to get a free Next Step packet that contains reading materials and useful resources that will point you in the right direction. For more information, please contact Salem Fields Community Church at 540-786-6212 or visit our website at salemfields.com or email us at podcast at salemfields.com.